so yeah, Lex is going to take us through, like I said, my notes have it here that Grandpa Lex is going to complain about how much easier everything is today. So without further ado, Lex, take it away. It's actually not a bad description. I named this section uh, from Nintendo hard to everyone gets a prize. And you sort of hit it what I'm going to, I'm going to go on. So a little bit for people that are, are not familiar with the segments, first time hearing it. I've been playing games since elementary school when I was very young. And many years later, I had the chance to give my son his experiences with his first games. And lately, my grandchildren are just about old enough to start playing themselves. So I like to talk about trends from the perspective of how things have changed for a very long time. Uh, this segment tends to be a little bit more of Lex storytelling, so just bear with us. Uh, I will say that uh, the game industry has changed a lot. Uh, the very first experiences with gaming, I don't know if anybody remembered uh, having to program the IRQs on a PC. So you don't have to do that anymore. But yes. they've, the they, they got rid programming the IRQs. This is before Windows 95. The you had to, I, you, IRQs? The interrupt request. The interrupt request. You had to actually yep. specify what each of your hardwares was responding to the channel that was responding to and you had to get it had no conflicts or it wouldn't play correctly yeah got, if you had two things on channel six it they yeah. it would confuse they, the hardware once windows 95 came out it's it's a uh, it over it overcame that problem but that's the early days we don't have to do that kind of this stuff is before anymore. plug and play basically before before plug and play you had to manually set it so we don't have to do that anymore so that element of the gaming world has changed uh, it has evolved in ways where you can sort of see the evolution so, for example, turn-based games still exist, but I would say in general, most of them have become more like possible real-time. If they want to do that, they put a possible feature in, unless the game specifically requires being turn-based. And some things are fundamentally timeless. Uh, played WoW in my 20s. Uh, WoW's still around. My son's still playing it. Family's still, friends still play it. So it's an industry that has undergone changes, but has also stayed the same. And I, I kind of wanted to go through that. Uh, you could technically just call this entire segment, you know, the theme of it is always everything is about money, kids. Uh, in a sense, that that's the reality of what's going to drive these trends. And, and we'll cover that. But the idea is to start with the fact that games used to be very, very difficult for reasons which still apply, but had a lot to do with making money and have gotten a lot simpler. But I think in some ways have changed into simpler but now the companies are starting to use the fact that it's simple. They're putting all sorts of ways in to slow the game down and then essentially pay you. You have to pay to get past whatever they just slowed down deliberately. So it's been a, they're still monetizing, but there's been an adjustment on how they do this. And, you know, I, I want to start with a quote. And I'm curious if either of y'all know this quote or have heard it before. So it is, times are bad. Children no longer obey their parents, and everyone is writing a book. Either of you heard that quote before? That sounds oh, very familiar. You know how old that quote is? Uh, really old. Really old. Goes back to the Roman Republic. Yeah. Yeah, so Cicero was complaining in his era, a little bit jokingly, but the complaint I think is relevant that the kids today, you know, the kids today are bad. They, they're not like they used to be. And so the complaint, of course, I'm going to throw in as the, as the grown up is kids today are playing easy games. They've gotten really easy. They used to be super hard, right? So I, I'm doing that in kind of a funny way, but I, I do want to actually show just how real that is. Uh, you know, I, I, have either of you ever played or heard of a game called Ghost and Goblins? It's way old game. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should have. No. I think I, I feel like I heard of it, but I don't you probably, yeah, you probably feel like I've heard, heard of it. Of it. Yeah. Well, the joke, the thing I always remember about that game is your character, I forget the guy's name, but he runs around him, he gets hit, he starts with a suit of armor, when he gets hit, the armor comes off, and he's basically running around his underwear, and he gets hit the second time he dies. And you have a very limited number of lives, and you have to win the game with that. And that's, and, and of course, stuff is coming at you the whole time. That's a game that you would see on, like, the old NES. And, and in fact, that era was one in which, uh, I don't know if you've ever, do you, either of y'all heard the Konami code? You probably heard it, but you know what it is? Yeah. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, select, start. 
No, BA start. You missed it. Up, up, B down, down, oh, left, right, no. right, BA start. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> you I probably definitely... would have done it right if, because I'm somebody's banned from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I first learned this code in a game called Contra for the NES. And yep. of course, the Konami games often had it. And the key was you went from having three lives to win the game, which I couldn't possibly win it with three lives, to 30 lives where I could actually have a chance to win the game. Plus unlimited ammo. Yeah, that's another thing, yeah. And so it was one of those things, often the games were so hard, there was a cheat code just to be able to win it. Like, that was a that was very common. In fact, if you go to TV Tropes, there is something there called Nintendo Heart, right? This This concept of games used to be difficult. And I will give you a story that have either of y'all ever heard of the horrific king's quest puzzle the troll puzzle for king's quest no i faced this puzzle could never solve it for years was sad that this was the only puzzle i could not solve in the game 20 years later i start reading about the game and realize that this puzzle is so famous the people are writing about this puzzle you walk up to a troll and he asked, the puzzle is, what is my name? Now, the most common answer that people eventually come to is a troll. It's the, his name is Rumpelstiltskin. It's a Rumpelstiltskin's puzzle. He says, nope, that's close. It's backwards. So if I told you that his name was backwards, what would you do as the answer? Backwards. Um, either Stiltskin Rumpel or... Backwards. <laughs> Or like literally letter for letter backwards. Yep. And, and so that's what everybody tried. I tried that a hundred times. That answer is so logical that when they remade the game, they, they made that a legal answer. The correct answer was you had to take every character and replace it with its opposite in the alphabet. So A had to become Z. B had to become Y. C had to become X. Oh, so the alphabet is backwards. Yes. I probably spent 40 hours and just finally couldn't win the game with it. I could do everything else. I I didn't get maximum points. You had to basically, you would take something else and you'd lose the points for what you lost. So you at least could solve the game. But after months of playing as a kid, I just could not solve this puzzle. That's the kind of puzzle you would see in that era. That's That would not fly today. Could you imagine a game with that kind of puzzle today and the backlash you'd get? Missed. Right? Yeah, Mist, Mist later had that. In fact, I, I yeah. think it was it was either seventh guest or eleventh hour that a puzzle that you had to only vowels were Y, right? That was a thing. And then of course, you know, if either of y'all ever played, you, you've heard the term roguelike, right? Have y'all heard that? Yep. Yep. Have any of you heard of rogue? No. Rogue's the game it's based on. I I did not play Rogue. I played one of its immediate ancestors, Moria. And it's you die, you die, you start over. 100 levels, and those levels take a very long time to go through. I've never gotten deeper than 25. But when you get to level 99, I think it's either Moira Angman, you face uh, Sauron, and when you get to level 100, you face Morgoth, right? And eventually, when you start to the middle levels, all the enemies are invis or crazy stuff that you have to have specific immunities to even survive. You could die on level one. I died all the time on level one. And every time you died, you started over. In fact, save scumming became a thing. You just save your save file just so you could play. That was a common game in that era, right? This is what happened. And then when I first played LP MUDs, if you died, you lost a complete level. There were 20 levels you could get in the, in the game and take hours to get a level. And if you died, it was a level. And they actually kept that going into like EverQuest, where if you died, you lost XP and had to do a corpse run. Either of you played Valheim? Yes. Yeah. One of the things I love about Valheim in a weird kind of way is it goes back to the old days of corpse runs. You have to get your gear back. And yeah, and that's hard. It's often much more difficult to get your gear back after you died, particularly in a game like Valheim. And though I don't love the corpse runs, that difficulty adds something weird to the game. It just does. And then in the games like Star Starship Titanic I played that had completely illogical puzzles, like if you ever buy that game, if you can figure those puzzles out, you have like psychic abilities. They're just crazy puzzles. So that was the old days. And, and I don't necessarily think that the old days are great, but that's context that used to be games punished you. 
there's a reason for that. Oftentimes, they weren't particularly deep. Pac-Man is sort of famous. If you ever played Pac-Man, you can't get past a 255. That's basically an overflow error, screws the game up. They didn't actually expect anybody to make it to that level. Now, the reason they do that is because the game just gets faster and faster and doesn't actually change. So they didn't really expect people to play to that length. They didn't design for it. Uh, Frogger is sort of famous for if you play Frogger long enough, there's a level you can't win. Like the unwinnable level is a thing in some of these games. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. The designers did, didn't expect you to get that far. And if you actually play those games, I talked about E.T., you can win like five minutes. The depth was not there. So they replaced a lot of depth with difficulty, often really high difficulty. Uh, there's a game, Space Ace, that was one of the coolest games. I don't, have you ever heard of Space Ace? This is one of those. It, 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 I feel like, no, no. It's a unique mind. It's a unique game. You've probably seen uh, reprints of it because Space it was an Ace. old Laserdisc game. It, it followed Dragon's Space. Lair, which was, yeah. You know, if you ever played Dragon's Lair, these were games that actually, in 1980s, and they had laser discs like video quality oh, storyline. Yes, yeah. I've seen it. Yes. Yeah. These games, the actual game itself isn't too deep. Now it's funny as can be. Dragon Dragon's Lair is hilarious because every single time your guy dies, Dirk the Derek dies, it's some horrible death. Like it's health, it's a funny bad death. And they actually made a television show. Like as a kid, you could watch cartoon about it where you'd be like, what's gonna kill Dirk? Like uh, what what actually is it gonna take is he gonna die? Because there's there's a sense of, of the humor was just all the crazy ways to die. The game yeah. itself, yeah. the game isn't that long, but it was very very skill based. You had to you had to time certain moves, and you had to get those timing exactly right, or you die. And so it substituted length for really hard difficulty and repetitive tasks you had to get really really good at. A lot of fun though. I, I won't deny those games had a deep appeal at the time. They're very popular. They've sort of changed that. I. Wow is probably the best example of that. I playing Wow lately just it, it's like playing an entirely different world. Death is essentially doesn't really cost you anything. Uh, getting defeated in a battle means nothing. Like there's almost every challenge in Wow isn't really that big of a deal, or has very little consequences to failing. So it's considerably less painful. Now I'm going to ask you guys, what do you think of that? Like. If you had a choice between a very challenging game that was painful or a much easier game, which one would you choose? It depends. Um, most, uh, uh, if, if there's going to be a game that I want to actually invest in, it's got to be hard. Well, it doesn't have to be it is much better if it's hard. Well, and I think of a game like, you know, the prime example I can think of that somebody that maybe, you know, gave the finger to um, what your sentiment is about, like, you know, like, and I agree. I completely agree that games are becoming too easy. And in a game that kind of said that games are becoming too easy, let's make a game that's really hard. Like Eld- um, Elden Ring being one of them, but more of a game that I've played in general has been Escape from Tarkov, where it's like, if you die you lose everything. And it's well, like, you're not getting that back, boy. What's interesting to me is that the fact that roguelites are now actually standard game genre and people play them is a well, hint what to is, me. You know, and you're going to laugh at this, but like, what is a roguelite? A roguelike. It's, it's, so the key element I'd say most roguelikes have is that they are essentially, you play until you're done. You get as far as you can. Okay. It's like that it's like that Ixian game that you showed the other day. That has that look to me of that. A survival game where it's sure. less about necessarily win, winning. It's can you so in the original rogue, you just descended the if I remember you descended the dungeon until you died. Right? And gotcha. And and there is a a, not, a lot of games have been very successful. Like FTL, you either win it. You can't go, I'd say the key thing is you can't go back, you can't save, you have to take whatever you have happened. So all of the save scumming and all the old tricks, you don't do any of that. And if a bad thing happens to you, you have to deal with it. And I would say that in some ways, the the online games really made that possible. Because when I was younger, everybody just save scum and started over if they got a slightly imperfect solution. And so games nowadays, for example, often iron 
offer an Iron Man mode or some mode where you just can't you can't fix your mistakes. So um, th- uh, I really have enjoyed the Tomb Raider series, um, like the, the since the reboot, um, and th- there's three of them. I think right? Am I? I think that's right. Anyway, I have not beaten the third one yet. Even though, like, I love the game. Uh, and the reason is I did it in hardcore mode, which means that I, number one, uh, ch- I can't save in between checkpoints, which is like, like they're insanely far apart. Um, and so if you die, you go all the way back. And it's really like, it's really frustrating sometimes because you're just like, you miss that last grab and then you lose all your progress. So I have to play it for a little bit, take a break, come back to it, make it a little bit further, take a break, come back to it, make it a little bit further. But I absolutely love it. The other thing is, once you start it in that mode, you can't change it out of that mode. So I can't play the, the game on easy now because I started my very first game on the third mm. installment in hardcore mode. See, the thing is, is that I, I think... Th- from earlier conversation, what really caught me about what C. Pair was talking about was that that bragging rights, that sense of accomplishment. I I really am bothered. I don't want to get everybody wins a prize nonsense. Oh, everybody participation trophies. Though I will be fair, as a parent, I told my son participation trophies are a joke. They don't mean anything. And maybe that's just me, an old school dad. But I'm like, participation is an act. I'm congratulations for participating. But that's that's good. But I'll never forget my son did dance. And he did a dance style he was not used to. He was asked to do ballet. He was not trained in ballet. And so he practiced in ballet and he learned it. He competed in ballet. He got like a really crappy score compared to his normal scores. I've never seen a boy more proud of his achievement than his relatively poor score on something he had to work really hard to achieve. Well, and funny enough, I can relate. Like I recently did, and you guys, you guys probably know this. Like I recently got into dragon boating this past summer and like, yeah, like we didn't win. Like we didn't win at all. But like the fact that we like participated, but also like, like did it this summer was like, like, yeah, like, right. And it was funny because like what happened then, and this is maybe relating to your topic, Lex was, it was like, we'll get them next time. Right. Like if we had been given, if everybody had been given a trophy or participation medal or what have you not, there would have been no, we'll get them next time, which that's, it's so critical to the success of any sport. Right. Because it's like, you're right. It's like, like something to strive after, which if you don't have that in video games, especially people just leave them because it's like, all right, I I did the video game. Like I'm, I'm done now. I, I participated. Yeah. I'm done. I, uh, I, I will give you a, you may have heard this one. I'll take a little clip. This is Teddy Roosevelt. Have you ever heard the man in the arena speech? Yes. I'm one of my ever? all time favorites. <laughs> that's I'll, all I'll, that's all I'll respond with is I'm it is, <laughs> it is not the crit- critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or whether they're aware the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. They, they could write him in those days. Do we need to have some like patriotic music during that speech? But, but the speeches. So that's the second. Like I would say, one of the top five speeches of probably the best ever to me was was uh, Winston uh, Churchill. But that's a great one, right? That's the whole reason why I do this. And to me, it takes away all the pleasure of it's too simple. So I, okay. a simple game is great for like a mindless diversion of like, okay, I've sure. spent yeah. myself need, for the we day. Need those games. Like we need space. Yeah, we cadet, absolutely we need, need space cadet pinball. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We have to have space cadet pinball. 
but those are just they're diversions you don't feel like at the end of those games you don't feel like you've eaten a meal i don't know how else to say it you know what i mean like you haven't accomplished something you've just wasted time which totally a legit thing to do sometimes you just need to waste time yep but uh the first time uh i'll i don't i mean there's this whole the first time i'll go back to kerbal space program since i haven't talked about it in this episode yet <laughs> is that, <laughs> the is first that like time... your contractual obligation yeah, to ksp is yeah, yeah it's like, so the first time once I an achieved... episode yeah once an episode right mm -hmm. I, I i've already talked about rocket league i've already talked about uh... we have we talked about factorio so we're uh... factorio so like is this like I bingo a... we're gonna get bingo cards for everybody a reference to et so yep. you see we're, we're... yep <laughs> so the first time in kerbal space program that i achieved orbit oh gosh i'll never forget that moment <laughs> that is uh, that is a moment the oh moment dude, you for me it was uh for me it was uh uh connecting two two celestial like uh like a two spacecraft together yeah that, docking, to me yes. was like i was like first was like, yes ah. <laughs> yes that is oh like those moments and it takes because like the first time i played kerbal space program i knew like in theory i knew how orbital mechanics worked but i didn't really know how it worked um and just and and the earliest versions of Kerbal Space Program that I was playing didn't have a lot of the the tools and the maneuver nodes and all those things that are, are more helpful today. So it it was just lots of trial and error, no mass thrust calculations, none of that. And it was just trial and error. This combination, oh, I, I that didn't quite have enough fuel. Maybe I'll try a different angle, a launch angle. Maybe I'll try more fuel. Then I don't have enough engines. Just over and over and over and refining and refining and refining until I got it. And that moment was incredible. For me, it was uh, completing, landing on the MUN using, yes. the, using the demo. Just demo. Oh, yeah. That well, was first landing on the moon is period for me yeah because but I, but... I you get there i so many times i got there and then when i landed <laughs> i blew up <laughs> i i will admit i i have watched uh, scott manley play that mm. game and i'm like how do you make that landing look so smooth so smooth yeah it's... <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah, know there's I... another game in particular that you guys probably haven't played but you might be like really pair like this is monumental but it was it's funny you talk about landing on the mun because you know what was monumental for me was i played uh dcs um it's a warplane simulator i don't know if you guys are familiar with it um dcs world that's what it's called I and played for it, me for me, because it's so realistic, it's like it's like straight up like simulator. Yeah, um, yeah, for me, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, for, this looks pretty. Oh, pretty oh, good. it's like no, 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 no. You have a checklist, not a, not a. Here's the controls. No, no, no. A checklist, like an actual. You have to write yep. down notes to start up the plane. Yeah. And I'm like, yep. oh wow. So but here's the thing. For me, what was like a monumental thing for me? I'm like, really, was landing the plane. <laughs> I was like, yes, I did it. Yep. I was like, this is amazing. The first time I ever did that, and and this tells you all day, in Microsoft Flight Simulator One, the first time I ever landed, I oh. uh, so exciting. Sure, and of course, party that's, like, that's not a great simulator compared to like modern ones, guys. But just it was hard, and it always get my uncle was a was a pilot, so I've always appreciated just how like. My uncle and my grandfather were both pilots, so it's it's like I don't know how they did it, given the fact I can't do it right in the simulators. Another one that you made me think of is there's this Star Wars game. It's not like an official game; it wasn't sold. It was somebody as a hobby made this game, and it is the game is you are uh, an X-wing attacking the the Death Star in at the end of Episode Four, and just like you fly in and there's just like an insane number of tie fighters there's uh star destroyers there's like actually sorry it was not episode four it was episode six sorry yeah so it's just it is an incredibly like you're gonna die and when you die you start over 
and eventually you get good and you're like you know how fast you have to kill them because they'll kill your capital ships if you take too long um and it just is a really really hard game but it's just like massive scale where you are actually making a difference and that that is an incredible feeling i uh it's interesting that you mentioned elden ring because so i would give you my 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 third or fourth old guy story uh, a few years back I, I found out about dark souls because i was playing D D with some friends and they brought their like 17 year old uh like nephew and he just kept talking about this dark souls game and he kept going on about how incredibly hard it was like it's the hardest game he'd ever seen and i was pretty impressed i'm like this thing must be just like permadeath hell a few years later my friend gave it to me as a gift i played it i'm like yeah this is tough but I'm thinking to myself if a guy with my reflexes and I test on really poor reflexes can beat this game, I don't know what he's talking about. And I realize, you know, when you talk about Elden Ring, part of the appeal of Elden Ring, besides the fact that it's not a heavily monetized monster, which is a whole nother topic, is just the simple fact that it's a game that plays to that style. In fact, if Elden Ring is unique, Think about how how weird this is. And this, this is a commentary on the state of the industry. A game that's hard. A game with tremendous amounts of content. And you buy it and you're done. Yep. And people are all people are like, how novel, how crazy a game. And I'm like, is this what we have fallen to? Welcome to the, the, the... a video game. <laughs> it's like, welcome to almost everything ever made in the history of games, right? Th this idea that that maybe there's more content than normal because they could just do more now, but a difficult, challenging game that you paid for at one time used to be the norm. It used to be what you did. And there's a lot of things to like about the Dark Souls series. It is, I play Dark Souls at times as a reminder of back when things really were tougher. And, and there's one boss on Dark Souls 2 I cannot beat. I just cannot do it. And I, you have to give up a little thing every time you face them. And, and they're an optional boss, fortunately. But I just, I try, come close, but I've never quite gotten there. I know that if I keep at it long enough, I will defeat that boss. Yep. That I will get good enough. It'll take forever. But the experience of it, I mean, the, the whole thing is, I mean, I, I'm proud of myself for winning those games, even though if I can win them, everyone can. I mean, that's that's not really <laughs> too much of a I have terrible reflexes, guys. Well, but it's but the the fact that it's a challenge for you yeah. is the point. Yeah, it's a challenge for me, and you know they put a few things in to make the game approachable. They wouldn't like you can do summons and things to make some challenges a little more approachable. But the fact that the game deliberately and intentionally rewards difficulty, and the feeling of success. I think I think we've all hit on this this feeling of having achieved something. But I do kind of want to go to the, the second part because I think we're all kind of like, hey, difficult games are great. Maybe that's just us. <laughs> But I, I was gonna say before we before we move on, like I was also gonna welcome, say welcome to Group Day, the, the podcast. <laughs> the hundred levels of no saves in between those hundred levels, that strikes me as yeah, I'm never gonna do that. I I really enjoy that game. I have not played in a long time. Uh, there are some people that could win it all the time. They just uh, they've learned how. But yes, that that game was was one that I never completed. And that seems a little over the top to me. <laughs> it, it is. And I would look, there, there is a, the fact that there are players that can beat it. And I've even seen people that can beat it and deliberately turn on the hard mode. Like there's hard mode settings to a game that's already damn near impossible oh, wow. to win. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, like you there, you can make the game harder. Like if, if, if it's gotten too easy for you. Now, to be fair, when people win, they used to post it online and show their winning character. There was bragging rights. Hey, look, I won the game with this character. Look at my final character. And, yep. you know, so, so that was an achievement. Like, hey, congratulations, you've done this really hard thing. You've joined the crew. But I will say that, that there's something that I think is changing. I think a lot of games have gotten a lot more approachable. So let's talk about the good things about easier games. Right. There are times when I have to turn around difficulty on some games to, to, to beat them. And I will do that for certain types of games. Generally, if they're really good story, but I just can't quite do the, the combat, there are some games that are like that. And I'm like, I'm not playing this for the to beat the difficulty I'm playing it because I like the story. 
so I'll turn the difficulty down and I won't make any claims how great I am. The the games are definitely more approachable. They're considerably less painful. Let's be honest, guys. Some of those painful games want to punch a wall. Like it's it's there's a few yeah. times when you just want to break your thing, and you occasionally see a video online of some guy you know throwing something at the screen and destroying it in rage because he was trying to do some really difficult thing and he got ninety nine percent of the way. He got hit on the last boss. Like I've I've seen guys that like take one hit on the final boss of Dark Souls when no hit challenge they get hit on the final boss one time and they're like ah they want to destroy their screen because you know they they picked a hard challenge and they almost got there plus it's it's just i think you had on a key point which is sometimes games are a little bit mild games i have a certain number of games i play that are just not hard that are just fun for simplicity or just kind of a nice relaxing thing to do but there is a there is something i think is a problem that i'm seeing and, and this is something i'd like you guys to be back on I think a lot of games, as they've gotten more approachable, have also realized that sometimes if you add an intentional grind, the game itself might not be difficult, but it's got grindy elements. Then you start putting time gates and you have to do a certain amount of a repetitive task. You know, the, the classic multiplayer, massive multiplayer thing, you know, kill 3,000 bears, that kind of stuff. For a long time, that just used to be a time gate to keep you playing. But one of the changes I'm seeing, and I did kind of want to talk about this, is more and more they're starting to realize you can monetize that. And they've essentially taken out the idea of the Elden Ring concept of let's be difficult and skill-based to let's be very low skill. This, was, by the way, was a, was a point made in the let's go whaling thing. It's like have a, have a game with less skill, more time gates, and put more money up. Make a, pay more money. And so I, I see that's happening. It's bothering me quite. I'd be curious your guys' opinion on that. Do you? To me, that's kind of like the disease, that the rot that's happening in the industry right now. And I will say that there is a disease going around this industry. So I well, hate grinding. Well, and it reminds me a lot about our battle, our battle pass talk that we just had uh, before the break here, where it's like very much like you know why like battle passes, like think of the Fortnite battle pass for instance. It was, like you said, Des, a very skill-based battle pass. Like, you had to do challenges, and you got stars based on... Apex Legends also is another game, but it falls yep. prey to... So Apex Legends is a very skill-based battle pass. It's very much like there's these challenges. You do these challenges, you get the rewards. Um, Battlefield is another example. Uh, Division, maybe. Not really. Um, so, but the issue is with all this, like you said... Is that it's like okay, you really don't need any skill; you just need money, yeah. Which is money your time, which is terrible. Well, not even time, right? Like it's just because like even time could be considered a skill to some well, degree, so right? I actually wanted to talk about something there. Uh, modern games are actually doing a gimmick that MLMs have been doing for a long time. I don't know if either of y'all ever been involved in MLMs, but they they will swear to you they're not pyramid schemes. <laughs> I don't know. It's email. the way they get away with that is they follow a legal procedure. And I follow the history of this. And I'm not going to go into it. But essentially, if they do certain things, if they claim that a certain amount of the product is being sold outside of the bid, that is, if you can make a profit by not recruiting people, and there's some sort of profit you can make, it's not really a pyramid scheme. Now, a lot of games use the you can grind it through, and you don't have to pay to play exactly the same game. That little test they put in MLMs is not real. Nobody besides the craziest people out there make any money doing the actual MLM business. Like I've, I've heard talks from like the smartest salesmen in the world and they make a little bit of money, but compared to like the amount of work they put in, it's like you could have sold, you know, she could have gone work for a corporation, made a regular salary and gave yourself a third to heartbreak, right? It's just, this idea, a lot of games use this. You can time gate through it with a really long grind that's measured in days or weeks that isn't really a real grind. Somebody might no, do 100%, it. No, yeah. It, but, but that's basically like a legal loophole where it's like, yes, you could do it. So therefore, it's not pay to win. I, I find that kind of stuff despicable. Yeah, you, so... I hate grinding and the grinding that I hate is the go kill 20, go pick 20 flowers, go kill 20 bears, uh, go harvest a hundred teeth from 
you know, this wolf's teeth or whatever. And you just, it's not a hard task. It just takes time. And, you and add on to that the fact that you can then pay to get past it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm over it. And to me, it's, you know, I, I saw somebody in one of the comments talking about how companies hate game hate gamers. And I, I think that's a misunderstanding. I think just a lot of companies don't care about gamers. Like a lot of the actual funders were just, were just a bank that they bought our money from. That's right. not true. That's not true for every game or every game developer. And like I said, it's a wonderful time. I've said before, it's a wonderful time for any developers. It's a wonderful time for a really great product. But I am seeing essentially one of the things about making games, they're, they're deliberately trying to go away from the model of you work hard, you want to achieve something to it's really, really slow and grindy and pointless, but there's this way to pay and get past all that misery. And that's becoming a, a replacement in too many games. Yeah, yeah I'll never sort of... And grinding, grinding initially, uh, it, it was just a way to... Fill time. Fill time. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's pointless enough, but then you just amp that pain up and say, oh, just give us a hundred bucks and you can get past all that. So here's the, here's the thing about that grind, though. It's never talked about when they talk about those really grindy games. Those grindy games were successful not because of the grind. They, they, were, they were actually successful because of something that they've tried really hard to get rid of in all those games. You know, EverQuest was painful, but it was very social, right? Early yeah. WoW was very social. It's interesting how much effort game companies have gone to make the social aspects of the game weaker through all these different things they do. The grind is manageable when you're doing it with your friends. It's like it's it's almost like a a beer bowling league where <laughs> yeah no it's like I've I've been in a beer bowling league and we were pretty we were mildly serious about the bowling but let's be completely honest we were mostly there for the beer mm -hmm. right and the social experience of, yep. of probably my best memory but but all but this is where the skill thing shows up I played a bowl a beer bowling league for one season and then I just had to do other things I have one specific memory for that time while I was sitting there and watching it one of the guys just had a perfect day in bowl the 300 game just right in front of us just he'd never done anything close to it probably never done it ever since 12 strikes in a row while i'm watching him yeah wow he also did it on the big money night so we won some cash but you know the, the guy who watched it next to him was like this guy had been bowling for years and had never got one and to me that that moment of watching the very best moment ever. I, that's what I remember, the memory I have you know, 15 years later. But yeah, we mostly did it for the social experience. It was just to have fun. I mean, yeah, I enjoyed bowling, but mostly I just enjoyed the people I spent time with. But most of the grinds, you just, you're never going to have, there's no, no equivalent of a 300 game. It's just literally slash and hack this 20th. Yeah, wolf. which I, those things just bore me and I won't do them. It, it, but the thing is, a lot of the games that built that grind, when that grind first showed up, a lot of those games were highly social, right? Because most games that had that were single player didn't put huge repetitive grinds in, unless that was specifically needed for some reason, right? They they might have some fetch quests, but the, the game progressed because people would just get bored with no progression. The massive multiplayer games they had a lot of grind, but very social grind. I mean, the thing about EverQuest is so funny is if you played a healer, this is way back, you you had to open up your screen, your spell book, and you had just blank screen. And you're sitting there just typing to people. You can't even see the game playing, but you're just having a great time talking to your friends about stuff as you wait for the monsters to respawn on their 30-minute timer. And yep. it, it, it's a different time and a different era, but it was very social. And looking back, the thing that I, I see missing a lot of times is a recognition that if you're going to put grind in, you've got to keep the social aspects high. The reason, why do people raid? They don't raid in WoW for the complexity of it. They raid for the group experience. But I've watched those WoW raids. They're not that intricate. They have some complexity. But mostly they're just a group experience of a shared team activity. That's what keeps them interesting. The fact that you do them the 20th time, you do them 20 times because you're done with your friends. But on the other hand, if you enable the game to be highly social, 
then that is going to reduce the amount of people who will actually pay to get past the grind. Yeah. Oh, I, I think there's, there's a real serious problem in the industry where the incentives to the game developers are not at all favorable to the players. And I, to be a, yeah. I also think, I also think the other half of the coin though, is that gamers keep playing games. I don't. <laughs> a lot of gamers do though. Well, people, well, if gamers gamers you complain heard it here first, folks. about uh, pay to play all the time, yeah, but they and do it if anyway. you but they do it anyway, and so like collectively we need to stop pay, playing pay to play games. So, so I had an employer who put up this big, you know, we're gonna fix our crappy cafe. It's gonna be this beautiful cafe, and of course they're a cheap company, so they gave us like half the cafe they promised. And I walked in and I walked out and I never went back again. And everybody's like, why are you boycotting? I'm like, I'm just boycotting. It's like, it's not going to change anything. I'm like, I don't care. You promised me X, you gave me Y, I'm not paying for it. Yep. And that's me. I mean, I, I will occasionally fall into that trap, but not for long and, and very rarely. If you look at the games I play, almost none of them have those mechanics. I just, I don't get it. It's boring. It's stupid. And, and I mean, you know, to be fair, people do it for all kinds of reasons and not always all of them dumb. But but I think it is unfortunately very harmful, and and uh, I personally won't do it. So I, I just don't get it. Yep, and and we are we are as a collective group susceptible to hype. Yeah. Um. We are uh, all of us have some sort of a bit of a uh, a dreamer streak to us, so that when somebody is trying to sell us something that kind of tweaks that dream that we have, that game that we want to play, we'll will sacrifice whatever we have to to kind of get a taste of that that gameplay even oh. if we're feeding into terrible you know the the most ridiculous game i've ever played it didn't have any monetization it was a game company was going to make a massive multiplayer game and while they were doing that they had this little button game and it was just push a button see something happen you level push a button see something level it was the absolute definition of a treadmill you just leveled the levels got you nothing and all you did is you leveled that you just leveled some more and people were just sitting there pushing buttons for as long as possible talking about how many levels they'd gotten like that simple just hey i've gotten more levels than you competition the game was literally just push a button and level people were doing it for hours yep and and they were and celebrating it now admittedly at a very social group and everybody was talking about the game that was never going to be but I look back at that and I'm like, I played that for a day or two and I'm like, why did I bother? Like, it was just, I just push a button level, push a button level. Yep. Well, and that's I, what we, we have to, as a collective group, stop playing the games that we don't want people to build. Yeah. And, and I already do. I won't, I do not play as a rule any game that has got strong play, play to win elements. I just won't do it. And admittedly, I'm just one buyer and they don't really care about me. I think the problem there does comes down to the fact that the, it's all screwed up by the presence of the whale. The fact that there is somebody out there willing to spend a million dollars on a game. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, right. and yeah, but I mean, yeah. I mean, the, it really uh, our boycotting of certain games. Isn't actually going to affect the we're it's actually going to affect the, the maker of the game like indirectly through the fact that the whale will no longer have status because none of us are playing the game. <laughs> and that's basically the only way to do it. How do you guys think we fix it? It can't be fixed. And if so, how? That's well, a great I think, question. I think leading to, you know, you talk about, um, <clears throat> we talked about Elden Ring, for instance, like, you know, making sure that games that do explore the hard to some degree and are hard in a good way are celebrated in the industry. Right. I like escape from Tarkov and things like that, where it's like, you know, giving that response, that positive feedback. It's like, yes, we want games like this, build games like this. I think Elden Ring has won a lot of awards. Oh, it has. Yeah. hundred percent. It has. But do you think that drives? it? Uh, Money drives it. I would say money, maybe prestige. Uh, I, I do wonder about their finances. Like, I wonder about, like, how much money, like, they're making comparatively to everybody else. Like, so I wonder I wonder to myself, like, 
in a you know in a scenario where it's like okay so like where's the money going and like how much money do they need right um yeah so i, I i'm curious i really am curious about that i mean i think there's a few tangible steps like stop pre-purchasing games yeah like early access true early access is different uh where you're trying to support something that otherwise would not come to actually exist but if we stop pre-purchasing games then you and only purchase them after they prove to be sufficient quality then that puts the that forces game developers to actually produce quality games um like what was it what was the recent one that just was complete trash when it came out? The recent one? Uh, most recent one? Not uh, most recent. Uh, you thinking Cyberpunk. of the Cyberpunk? Yeah, yeah Cyberpunk. <laughs> uh, I mean, oh my gosh. Like, and, and like, if, if the, uh, like, because there's a whole bunch of pre-purchases of that game. Like, they had, they yeah. had made tons of money before they ever launched it. And then, once they did launch it, there was this huge backlash, but if the if the stakes were, when you launch this game, if it is crap, we're not going to buy it, then you either, you have to launch a quality game. And this is, this is what used to make Blizzard great, is that they would just, they would go, they would not launch a game until it was ready. Yep, I remember that. Um, and we've lost that kind of... Uh, pushback from the community and say no like we we want to we buy into the dream like we see the vision for oh mm -hmm. uh, what was the game we talked about a couple episodes ago that has 500 million or something star 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 yeah star, star citizen. citizen no our like oh, 500 star million dollars. oh yes, 500 million star yeah 500 million like that's I, I just like we have to stop like All I don't right. know how it happens, other than the community comes together and says we're going, we're not going to put up with this anymore. And I think that that's sort of, kind of happened at times, with companies that have had problems with sales or reputational issues. But yeah, I, I don't know if it's it's not an industry wide thing today. No. And you know, and it, you know, Cyberpunk messed up really badly. Um, but mostly you know, they've ended up fine. Well, it's similar to um, No Man's Sky, but No Man's yeah, Sky spent yeah. years fixing, right? And to the point where there's a whole... Internet historian has an excellent video on how that game went from a disaster to, like, a completely remade game. Well, and... But, and, like, we should... Because there's, there's a difference between a broken game and a game that has a solid core that is playable, that is enjoyable, that is a good game that then maybe you get DLC that adds elements to the game. That's a, this is a whole different thing than launching something that's total trash. I, to me, I think I have, I have less issues with a game that's broken than I have a game that is clearly just, I'm a bank that they're waiting to pull money from. <laughs> yeah. So there are there are many games that it is very obvious when I look at that the entire game design is not a game. It's a machine designed to get me to take money out of my wallet and give it to them. And they will give me as little content as they can get away with to provide that. And they'll put yep. barrier after barrier after barrier in front of me to make paying seem more valuable. Like and that they're, is going, they're going to make it painful, but not hard. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know the too many of those games. It's like literally my favorite my favorite ridiculous ones are the ones where you don't even do anything. You just like push a button and the game happens. But you could buy all these power ups, and like I I sort of maybe get the appeal. I think I played one for a while and then kind of eventually just like I'm done. But when that's your game, it's just you're just spending money. It's just. All you're doing yeah. is shoveling money at the company. And yeah, that's a whole lot of ethical questions around that. But ignoring the ethical questions, I just I think it ruins game design. And maybe maybe I'm a game of purist. I love Dark Souls. I love Dark Souls too. I'm I, my Christmas buy this year, my 
my Christmas thing, I, I play one Dark Souls type game a year, and next year's Elden Ring. And I'm really looking forward to it. Because. Well, and, you know, I, I was just thinking that maybe I should take my own advice because pretty much Kerbal Space Program 2 is supposed to launch early next year. First, first half, I think. Time to pre order. <laughs> um, and, but like, it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, I want to buy that game. But they might not have enough copies at the store, so you need to pre-order. (laughs) (laughs) Des, they might not have enough copies. Um, I think think the download will be fine. Get your your floppy disks early, guys. But you know what I mean? Like, like I I have bought into the dream of Kerbal Space Program 2. And and to to be fair, that kind of mistake I'm very tolerant of. You have a game company with a proven history... They've been talking about and planning an improved game for a long time. Sometimes you're going to get it done with that. That that to me is fundamentally yep. different. Yeah, like that's I can very think of, different. Like I can think of an example, for instance, that one that strikes me is like like talk about a game company that has like a very almost like I don't even know the word to describe it. Like too too big to fail to some degree. Like it really is like that. Meant, maybe in a negative mentality, but there was um, it's a European company um oh shoot what's the name of that um cd project red i think and they made this game called cyber oh (laughs) never mind oh shoot yeah sorry guys i was oh i was wondering (laughs) where you were going with that (laughs) it's the longest joke i've told guys okay (laughs) i I so I mean I get it you know bring it in Keanu that was brilliant because you know, <laughs> I love how you're talking about like a, a good reputation they did right Witcher three had a great yeah, Witcher they had three a great had was like oh wow Witcher three like uh, ooh la la and it's like and then they made Cyberpunk and everybody's like oh my goodness Keanu Reeves I think the that was problem. it I think they were like guys this game is crap I have an idea Keanu <laughs> Keanu he'll make it better. The thing I think people forget is that there's a lot of turnover in those in, those companies, and the people that made the earlier games aren't off, often aren't the people making the new ones. And so, yeah, yeah it, it's it's, but yeah. It, but I do think I think but, to your point, like we do really have to stop rewarding the the pay to play as a community, or or it's just gonna it's gonna take over everything. Pretty much, every, it will, there will always be non play to pay to play games just because there's always going to be an audience for it but they'll be a small i i I, I have hope but yeah right now it's kind of a little bit of a time before as i said before gentlemen it's been an excellent conversation i think um, on that note we should probably call it and move to the next topic yeah for sure no it's been fantastic geez louise what a contrast from last week to this week i tell you we're just firing on all cylinders (laughs) 